Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. We don't do this often enough, but uh, we're going to have Laura read our purpose statement. Becoming Buddha Cross River Meditation Center preserves and presents a human Buddha's Dhamma initially recorded as the second book of the Pali Canon, the Sutta Pitaka. Our practice is informed from over 300 curated suttas restored by John to their original intent and practical focus. Our practice is empty of imagined insight, magical thinking, mystical grasping after, and unfounded speculation. Our teachers and students remain focused on these suttas to develop a direct, mindful experience of establishing a well-concentrated, supple, and conflict-free mind through the Eightfold Path. It is the Eightfold Path that Siddhartha Gautama taught over the last 45 years of his life with the sole purpose of abandoning self-inflicted stress and suffering through ending ignorance of Four Noble Truths. Patamoksha means towards liberation. These guidelines support a well-informed and well-focused Sangha and establish the most effective environment for Dhamma practice always focused on liberation from ignorance. Becoming Buddha Cross River Meditation Center is a true refuge from the chaos in the world and ideological contradictions and foundational confusion prevalent in modern Buddhist by common agreement. Our practice is framed by the Eightfold Path, which establishes a skillful balance of jhana meditation, sutta study, sangha participation, and daily individual Dhamma practice. When gathered for Dhamma class, we refer only to the Buddha's Dhamma as restored by John and presented by our teachers. When gathered as a Sangha, we accept responsibility for maintaining the gentle integrity of our Sangha. When gathered as a Sangha, we are free of grasping after magical, mystical, and speculative concepts and fabricated experiences. When gathered as a Sangha, we practice wise restraint. Questions or confusion about verbiage or arising from comparisons to other modern Buddhist practices, modern Buddhist teachers, or what they are teaching, are not a part of our Dhamma classes or Sangha discussions and should be addressed directly to our teachers outside of Dhamma class. Individual class suttas are linked in our newsletter for home study prior to class. Thank you, Laura. Thank you. Thank you. Tonight's sutta is the Rahogata Sutta. And John's subtitle is Ending Fabrications Through Jhana. It's also known as Alone or Seclusion. But I often think that the theme that I get out of this is context. And everything we do here brings it back into the context. What you just read brings it 
into context. And mm-hmm. it's easy to take things out of context, take one line, take one thought, you know, not developing concentration and going off and trying to investigate something. That's taken out of context. And you'll see within this sutta how the Buddha rather quickly brings a question into context. So I'm going to start with John's part of his introduction because again, it (coughs) brings it within into context. As with all Buddhist teachings, jhana meditation must be seen within the overarching context of dependent origination and the Four Noble Truths to be useful and practically applicable. The Buddha awakened to the profound understanding that is of ignorance of the Four Noble Truths that is a requisite condition for fabrications. Fabrications are the glue that binds confusing thinking to ignorance, obscure reality, and established stress, disappointment, and suffering, also known as dukkha. On one occasion, a certain monk went to the Buddha with a question. Upon arrival, he bowed and sat to one side. Great teacher, just now in seclusion, the thought occurred to me. You speak of three types of feelings. There is the feeling of pleasure, the feeling of pain, and a feeling that is neither pleasure or pain. Then you said, whatever the, whatever feelings arise, they are all stressful. In what connection did you say this? Excellent question, my friend, excellent question. I have spoken of these three feelings of pleasure, pain, and neither pleasure or pain. I've also stated that whatever feelings arise, they are all stressful. I've stated this in connection to fabrications. And this is where he brings it into context. (coughs) Fabrications are impermanent. So right away he brings the three marks of existence into the discussion. Because that's really the whole purpose of our jhana meditation is to really have insight to those three marks of existence. Nothing more. That's the understanding. That takes it from ignorance to understanding. And so the Buddha brings it right back. You had this monk who, in seclusion, so I'm guessing it was not necessarily during meditation, but probably on reflection of something that occurred to him. And I'm sure he was taught impermanence before, but he took it out of context. The Buddha's bringing it into context. Fabrications are impermanent. It is the nature of fabrications to arise and pass away, to change. It is in connection to fabrications that I've stated that whatever feelings arise, they are all stressful. The Buddha has put the monk's question into context, dependent origination. Furthermore, I have also taught the step-by-step process of cessation of fabrications. When a Dhamma practitioner has attained the first jhana, speech falls away. That includes internal dialogue. That's John's comment. When a Dhamma practitioner has attained the second jhana, directed thought and evaluation falls away. When a Dhamma practitioner has attained the third jhana, rapture falls away. When a Dhamma practitioner has attained the fourth jhana, intentional or directed, in and out breathing has passed away. Now, of course, we don't stop breathing, but 
it goes into the background almost. And the Buddhist is saying that as your absorptions develop, these things will arise and you'll notice them. And now he gets into the uh, further absorptions that aren't something that you should see as higher attainments <coughs> or accomplishments, but these are things that you'll just, you'll experience. And the Buddha will uh, say it over and over again, they're fabricated and impermanent. When a Dhamma practitioner has attained the fabricated dimension of infinite space, the perception of forms pass away. And John added the word fabricated. When a Dhamma practitioner has attained the dimension of infinite space, the perception of form passes away. When a Dhamma practitioner has attained the dimension of infinite consciousness, the perception of, I'm sorry, dimension of infinite uh, space passes away. When a Dhamma practitioner has attained the dimension of nothingness, the perception of the dimension of infinite consciousness passes away. When a Dhamma practitioner has attained the dimension of neither perception nor non-perception, the perception of the perception of dimension of nothingness passes away. When a Dhamma practitioner has recognized and abandoned these qualities, they have attained the cessation of perception and feelings. When these unskillful mental qualities have ended, greed, aversion, and delusion have ended. Furthermore, I've taught the step-by-step -step process of stilling of fabrications. And I, I like the word stilling. It, 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 to me, it makes me think of, of a gradual, and that's what this practice is, a gradual development of these absorptions. It's not something you can rush into. You can't muscle your way through it. You'll experience it, it'll pass away. But stilling's, a, I, I think, a, a really strong word that, that John's used in his uh, restoration of this, uh, this particular teaching. I'll start that over again. Furthermore, I've taught the step-by-step -step process of stilling the fabrications. And these are John's comments. The cessation of fabrications is recognized and experienced as stilling. When a Dhamma practitioner has attained the first jhana, speech has been stilled. When a Dhamma practitioner has attained the second jhana, directed thought and evaluation has been stilled. When a Dhamma practitioner has attained the third jhana, rapture has been stilled. When a Dhamma practitioner has attained the fourth jhana, in and out breathing has been stilled. When a Dhamma practitioner has attained the fabricated dimension of infinite space, the perception of form has been stilled. When the Dhamma practitioner has attained dimension of infinite space, the perception of form has been stilled. When a Dhamma practitioner has attained the dimension of infinite consciousness, the perception of dimension of infinite space has been stilled. When a Dhamma practitioner has attained the fabricated dimension of nothingness, the perception of, of the dimension of infinite consciousness has been stilled. When a Dhamma practitioner has attained the fabricated dimension of neither perception nor non-perception, the perception of dimension of nothingness has been stilled. Now those are a lot of words. 
And I don't want you to get confused by any of that. I've never experienced any of that. Uh, it's a non-physical realm. Uh, and as you can tell, the Buddha continually says it's fabricated and to be abandoned. When the dumb, as temporary and insignificant as any other figment of our imagination, even though a lot of people might believe in something such as the idea to seek the Buddhist heaven or Christian heaven, etc., etc., mm -hmm. or, or the reappearance in some kind of uh, non-physical realm is all part of that. But it's also the same as thinking that as long as I get enough recognition, I can be known as the world's greatest meditation teacher. It's all part of that whole thing that the Buddha is saying, recognize that we do it to ourselves and let go of it. Why? Because it's so debilitating. You end up living that fabrication rather than recognizing the stress, the stress induced by maintaining the fabrication. Right at that point. Thanks, and there's no insight gained by attaining those non-physical realms. Yeah, just, is that correct? That just confusing yourself and distracting yourself. Thank you, John. The only insight is that it's a fabricated and impermanent. Yeah, which is exactly what is being taught here. That's why. It, it, and it's kind of hard to see. Thanks for pointing that out. Because if we enter, I came to Buddhist practice. My interest in, in Eastern practices was that there's something magical or mystical and some kind of power that I can attain that will elevate me above, above the mere mortals. Um, and for probably 20 years that was my Buddhist practice because it was also affirmed and insinuated by other practices that that was kind of the goal to get to some kind of non-physical establishment or understanding and so it wasn't until I started reading suttas like these that the Buddha actually taught he said don't go there stop doing it and over and over again he mm. said stop stop imagining yourself and start living your life now um, and that was probably the most significant understanding that gave me the license to stop chasing fabrications. But in suttas like this, though, they really make that point. Now, does the Buddha keep them included in there just because you may experience it? Yeah, and because it was so common during his time as in, as in our time to think that the purpose of any so-called spiritual practice, I don't use that word to describe this, but a so-called spiritual practice should have a spiritual resolution meaning something that is non-physical. And the Buddhas, the, 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 the radical uh, understanding that the Buddha had during his time and ours is stop going into non-physical establishments. We, have, we are human beings having a human life. And the great gentleness and understanding that comes with just accepting that. And think about it, well, even, even the great... Um, the, the, the psychological systems that developed during the, the late 50s and early 60s that have kind of now proven aren't all that great um, were really all about getting to that there's a book about I'm okay, you're okay to get to that resolution that I'm okay but there was no understanding about I'm okay because this is what I am I'm made to be a human being Dukkha arises you know, when we can understand that and accept that as just the consequence of having a human life, we're liberated. But if we're not, we're, we're always trying to make things and people fit a view that, as we learn of dependent origination and here, is fabricated. So even the idea that you should be different, or that if I do something to make you a better person, that's going into infinite space and infinite consciousness and all those fabrications. 
because all that is is a figment of my imagination. Thank you, John. Now, friend, there are these six profound calmings. And isn't that really the whole purpose of what we're doing here? Is to be calm and be able to have clarity when situations do arise. I mean, this is the payoff, the, the calm abiding. You know, it's not to be out of your body and be in this realm where what do you do when you're back in this body of the six property being? So this is the payoff. When a Dhamma practitioner has attained the first jhana, speech has been calmed. When a Dhamma practitioner has attained the second jhana, directed thought and evaluation has been calmed. When a Dhamma practitioner has attained the third jhana, rapture has been calmed. When a Dhamma practitioner has attained the fourth jhana, in and out breathing has been calmed. When a Dhamma practitioner has attained the cessation of perception and feeling, perception and feeling have been calmed. When a Dhamma practitioner, affluence have been ended, passion has been calmed, aversion has been calmed, delusion has been calmed. So really what's being calmed is what? It's the aggregates. And, and the defilements. Defilements. But it's the aggregates. These things that we cling to. That the purpose of jhana meditation is to develop concentration so you can be mindful of when you're clinging and you'll understand what's in front of you. And I think, Lord, your museum story is a perfect example of it. Mm-hmm. Right? Why? Because she saw this beautiful day was going to end, so she recognized it, it arose, and you returned to your body. Yeah. That was a perfect example of what this practice is. And it's not supposed to be a perfect practice where you absolutely avoid that feeling. You're human. Thoughts and feelings arise. This practice does not make you devoid of that. You're always going to be a human, but I, I believe you're a human better qualified to be out in the world. And that's what this calming really is. It's the calming of the, the aggregates. I guess it leads us to prioritize, you know, activities that are, well, I think of Elia and her, like how much time she spends on her artwork too, like this practice, it helps you prioritize where you should for Ram when he does his woodwork, you know, other activities that we engage in outside of jhana or for whatever our occupation is, you know, at work, we put more concentration, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah into that and we don't waste our time on because you develop it yourself because you have that level of concentration to not be distracted to that you go to this in in Elia's sense he's really to be just focused I've seen some of Elia's artwork so it's obvious that she has a deep level of concentration (laughs) but it's such a good example that um, 
then we have the tool to not um, to not need an out to not need an activity that helps us focus, but rather that's just who we are, it's what we bring into this moment. So right. again, just using that example I used before, you used you didn't need them. You came to the resolution that that your museum experience was just what it was. It didn't need to be any different, and and so there liberated your mind. And again, just think about that in when we bring that into conflict with other people, thinking that you need to be different because you have a different point of view. And if I can just take a breath and realize, I'm, the only reason I'm agitated by your view is because I'm taking your view personally. Mm -hmm. And again, it doesn't mean, uh, factually, you may be right, but is it worth losing your mind over? No. You know, and, and that's what it, and every, Every moment of our lives can, comes down to that. We can't be that that um, vigilant, or we'll lose our mind over the vigilance. But to have that calm and peaceful mind that we establish on our cushion and understand how to take it off our cushion, which is what the other seven factors. But again, Lord, you—that's what you described in that. It really was a—it uh, was a remarkable thing what you described. But it's also mm -hmm. by this you know, Dhamma class works so well because we're able to share this and. Right. You you taught you know an old an old so and so like me by what you said. Mm -hmm. I think the sutta also is a really good example of the teacher sangha member relationship. Yeah. That almost most or many of the teachings are a question being asked, you know, a clarification being provided by by someone, whether it's the Buddha or one of his, you know, senior soccer members, but that's how this works. Mm -hmm. Right, and now us. That's, what, that's and the reason why we only us. teach suttas, so, so that we can answer in the same way that the Buddha did, not our own words. Not, mm -hmm. you know, I think this is what he should have said if he was alive today. That, in the Bhutanita, I used to get that question often that, you know, if the Buddha was alive today, he would teach things differently. Well, that's the that's what four noble truths mean. And their their truth, they are noble in the sense that they span time. And they're really the only four that this guy figured out. You know, and they're still true today. You know, anybody can uh, just a little bit of consideration. So yeah, stress arises, and understand the rest of it. But then to apply it, you know, it's what we're doing here. Mm -hmm. he, he does um, a bit of a tightrope trick here. And in, in a lot of suttas he does, because on the one hand, uh, you know, there are all these people out there with these uh, fabricated goals that they have been taught all these years by all the teachers around them, and the same thing here. Important to them and vested in, interest in continuing. Right, in, important to them, and uh, in a way, you know, it doesn't always help to pay attention to that, but on the other hand, you do have to uh, point out this is fabricated and this is impermanent, so pass it by. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, especially those common beliefs, beliefs that are common to, to again, to so-called spiritual seekers. And all of it comes back to not seeking salvation, not seeking escape, you know, not fixing a broken self, just mm -hmm. liberating yourself as a human being, which to me is you know, that's the most important thing I ever learned, because I didn't, I had no idea 
Thank you. Thanks, Ron. That was the end of the sutta. Quietly. Thank you. <laughs> Quietly. <laughs> Thank you, David. Outstanding <laughs> teaching as usual. Go around the room. Brian? Thank you, David. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Um, this, the subtlety of the Dhamma where the ending of one type of fabrication is achieved by the ending of another type of fabrication, where the skillful ends the unskillful, Mm. skillfully developing jhana skillfully abandoning jhana will abandon the fabrications the verbal the bodily and the mental fabrications that are unskillful that leads to the um, ending of the defilements it's really interesting to see that in the sutta and and I really like this sutta coming right after the the dependent origination. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Yeah. and it leads to Saturday, I think Saturday, the Anurata Sutta, the, the ending fabrication, specifically how to do it. And again, it, mm-hmm. when I, you know, these teachings are just so brilliant. Again, they, and they're so useful 2,600 years later, directly. Right? There's nothing, we don't have to guess on how to do anything here. Stay tuned, you'll learn Stay how to tuned. do it next week. And again, it's keeping it within what this practice is. This, this is, John often says, it's a limiting practice. It's an eightfold path for noble truths. It's, it gets off kilter when you try to, you know, change it a little bit or, you know, focus on one thing but not the other seven. It's a, uh, it's limiting, but it's complete. It's it, and again, keep everything within the context of the entire uh, teachings of the Buddha, and uh, that's what I've always tried to do. I, I try not to go too far astray with my curiosity. You do a good job of it, David. Julia. Look very comfortable. Hey, thank you, David. I don't have anything to share tonight, but um, yeah, thanks. Thanks, Julia. Julia is. Uh, we're hoping that Julia Julia will be joining us Saturday, and oh uh, when she does, uh, those of us that can, let's uh, go out to breakfast and we'll all get to meet her. And give her all those expensive gifts we have for her. <laughs> yeah, and hugs. A lot of hugs. <laughs> yeah, no, those are the most valuable ones. Yeah, we'll probably go down to the love and love it. Anybody can join us, please do so. Good. Yeah, I've never been to Frenchtown before. Oh, you'll enjoy it. Center of the Great universe. Town. How could nice. you not? It's the most mm-hmm. meditated town in the world. How are you? Good. I have a good time. Oh, Thank you. Um, yeah, it's interesting, you know, when I, I don't come, except for, you know, I try to come once a week, and I, so I'm missing a lot of the in-between lessons and things, but, um, I, so I'm sort of picking up, 
bits and pieces. You're here a lot. <laughs> yeah. You're here so, quite a bit. So um, it's 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 interesting to to meet this information. <laughs> you know, it's like mm -hmm. it's a very. Um, In your world, how does this like dovetail at all? Because well, it's a lot of it's already there. I mean, mm -hmm. It just is. I I really have a very a, kind of a being kind of life, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm into what I'm doing, mm -hmm. I, I've gotten rid of a lot of distractions, so, and bills and things, I mean, I've just made my life very simple, <laughs> and I only, do, mm -hmm. I only do what I love to do, mm -hmm. make food, grow food, paint pictures, and meet people, see people, mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm a lot of this is very, sometimes I would say, well, yeah, no kidding, you know, but, but I get it, you know, people are out in the world and they're like, you know, it's crazy out there, it's just yeah. like mm -hmm. creating, I, it's very easy for me to keep my reality and my fiction separated, for the most part, because I'm just in a, I'm sort of in a, my own world of reality. But you're not in, in a secluded way where you're in denial, it seems like you're... No, you know, no, it's, so just, that's it's why just that there's a lot of fiction. I'm always very curious about... Fiction, friction, friction, fiction out there. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, you can like, free yourself of that, but... What? You can free yourself of that, the fiction, friction. Um, right, but it's just happening, it's happening like it's just a buzz. Mm. Yeah. You know? mm. It's a buzz. And you know that we record these classes and you can... If you have time, you can listen to the ones that you miss. No, I didn't know that. Yeah. So yeah, and actually, the, we did this study over the winter on Thursday too. So those those talks are there too. So there's a couple of recordings. But yeah, I mean, Ilya, you just you have a a naturally gentle and calm presence, and you know one of the keys to happiness, whether you practice it down or not, is doing just what you do. You know, keep your life simple because yeah, my life is really simple. the rest of it is just distraction anyway. So anyway, it's very yeah. interesting. And you're careful. If you're you're careful of your associations, it's clear that you. Well, I'm not actually. I should be more careful of my associations. Oh. Okay. I, have, I have a more open door policy <laughs> than I should, you know, boundary wise and whatnot. So. Dinner at Julia's tomorrow. What? <laughs> yeah, I said dinner at Julia's tomorrow. Dinner <laughs> Yeah, I love to cook. <laughs> anyway, I I enjoy the you know the lessons and the. Thank and mixing you. it up into my life and can't hurt. Great. Bridget. Thank you so much for this teacher. There were like I guess three things that really resonated with me. The first was this this the stillness, the stilling. Mm -hmm. it, it you know, I grew up he taught um, a different spiritual thing. And out of all of it, the only thing that ever spoke to me were the words, be still. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what about the ones, and no, what about those? <laughs> no, and they can, I'm asking, it kind of a powerful and effect. And no, yeah. actually, yeah, I always just cut off the, that I am God yeah. part, because I couldn't connect to that. Um, I had trouble with that myself. <laughs> right? But I really liked the be still, and you're right, and the, and no. And so just to have that be a part of this practice is so calming, mm. and I'm so grateful for that. Those and four words apply to this practice. 
And as John was saying, having the use the word license, and I'm feeling that all these things I felt under this fabricated obligation to, whether it was a thought or an action or an association or all these things, and I do suddenly feel this license to say, that's not sitting with me and with my practice, that's not... Mm -hmm wise. That's not, you know, a part of life. I, you know, that's true to me. So, those things just really, you know, kind of stuck with me mm -hmm. um, a lot. So, thank you. Thank you. you. That's, that's Can I just say something about what sure. you just said about what is true to you? That's your reality, that's reality, you know, that is reality. So, that's really good that you can bring it back to what is true to you. gentle the process is when you engage in it properly the way it's presented mm -hmm. and again this is the way Siddhartha presented it's the way we do it and it works doesn't it so well yeah <laughs> thank you for sharing it it's the gradual nature of this practice I'm reading a book about um, uh, um, the psychology it's called the psychology of totalitarianism <laughs> I was gonna say a little light reading yeah, well, Larry, but um, it's, it's interesting that there's 10% of the people in the world cannot be hypnotized. Mm -hmm. Cannot be hypnotized. And I just think that that's fascinating, you know, and I, I, I think I'm probably one of them because we'll be really hard to hypnotize. Have you ever tried? I, I have not, there? no. No, but I mean, I just, I think the firmer you are, grounded in reality, the harder it is to just like sashay off into fiction, you know, like, yeah, let me come with you, oh, that looks fun, that mm -hmm. looks, let me get that, candy, candy, you know, yeah. the more you, you like, it doesn't, may, it may not work. Yeah. On. So I think that that 10% is maybe the, the meditators. <laughs> it's the 90% we got to worry about, though. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. You know. <laughs> they're they're going to do their own thing. Mary. Other than you. Thank you Good very evening. much for your teaching. Thank you, thank you. Jane, my friend? <laughs> David, my friend. Thank you for the teaching. Um, my genre practice has definitely calmed my mind. And I notice that when I get up in the morning, instead of having all these fabricated patients of what's going to happen, what might happen, all this mm -hmm. stuff going on, it's just... It's like a fresh start, you know, it's like, mm. there it is, <laughs> let's see what happens, you know? Yeah, it doesn't excuse you from life and the suffering, it right. just gives you understanding. It gives you the... But you can wake up like that. Like that. <laughs> I think it just places you in the moment, you know, so there right. is a, 
The moment is the only thing that's not fiction. I mean, it's not fiction. Everything else is fiction. Mm -hmm. It's interpreted yeah. or it's futuristic. It's some, you know, stuck it's in the a past. fantasy. Mm -hmm. You're not looking mm -hmm. in the future. You're, yeah, even you're if you're probably. looking at a blade of grass, even if you're whatever mm -hmm. you're, where, whatever you're doing, it's like a whole. It's really extraordinary intersection of time and place that you have. That you're there stirring your tea or whatever you're doing. It's really, every moment is sort of exquisite. Yeah, not, you're not and it's being diluted. Nice. That's the pulp, that's refined mindfulness, mm -hmm. having that ability to be present for each moment mm -hmm. as it unfolds and finding that meaning in a cup of tea or whatever, you know, or an empty, empty cup of tea. I mean, you know, it doesn't. Everything, yeah, yeah. but every, every, there's no thing. It's because there. you're present for it, not because of the what's occurring. Yeah. This is my human life. Why shouldn't it? I mean, why shouldn't I think this moment is the most amazing moment I've ever had? I should. <laughs> and it is. It is. And it's no, but it's, and it's also no big deal. Yeah. But that's how we should, we should be like this. Make me ever the world, and we all would be. But why would, I mean, this is my thinking. Why wouldn't I want to make this moment amazing? And who is that up to? It's not up to anybody else but me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're always, we're always a, our intersection with space is always a point somewhere that we're displacing yeah. in an extraordinary relationship to everything around us. Yes, no at that point of is, contact. No matter what it is. Yeah. If, if you get a chance and if you forget, just listen to, what's today? To listen to Saturday's class. Actually, Last I didn't Saturday? Even, yeah, but I didn't post it yet, so give me okay. a day. Pass it. Uh, because it addresses just this. I think you'll find it interesting. But I got it. What would be the point of life, or any exercise about developing that, except be there? But have a way to be there in a way that I'm not bringing me in, not bringing a fabrication. And somehow this guy figured it out. I'm still astonished at that. Mm. <laughs> oh, really? But, you know, this guy. Yeah. It does. And he taught it. And he taught it. He taught it. Not just He taught it. And we still have those teachings, thanks to a great restoration. Around. Thank you, John. I didn't, yeah, I didn't make this stuff up. Thank you, John. <laughs> I had nothing else to do with my Is that job. why it's called Jana? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I've been wanting to change the name to J-O-H-N-A, but I, I, just, I don't think I can get away with it. Laura. The truth comes out. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Laura. That was, that was good. <laughs> You're Yeah. But I guess the only reason why, I mean, like Ilya was saying, like if you hear bits and pieces of it, you really have to come back to, you know, the other teachings that, you know, John and all the teachers have given on the Buddha's Dhamma because, and like you were saying, without context, these exercises or even jhana meditation itself, if it's not rooted in, I mean, if there's no context, then you know, you can still just be out of your mind, but this, you know, because we've talked about this before, um, David, like you've mentioned, like it's all about the context, because otherwise I I have trouble, like, off my cushion navigating this, like John has said, this like thicket um, of just multiple truths, like oh, my school, talks about this and this is their truth and then my you know people in my friends or my family or they have their own set of truths and like everyone has a different set of truths but it's like when you come back to the noble truths that 
really helps a lot. <laughs> like just those timeless, simple, like John's always saying, getting back to, um, I don't know, it just, yeah, because it can be very stressful yeah. to navigate but it, through. There comes a point where you don't have to argue with it. Mm -hmm. Right. What do you mean by that? <laughs> John. <laughs> That's where, when, when, it, when it deepens, there comes a point where you really don't have to argue it anymore because you've already incorporated it. And yeah. what somebody else thinks. Or more importantly, Robin, I know that like, this is really what you're saying. You don't have to argue with yourself about it anymore. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because that's, that, that's there yeah. uh, for a long time. Uh, that you think, but I learned this there, and I learned that there, yeah. and I've always thought that, blah, blah, blah. and mm. after a while, that just all stills, and yeah. you're left with a a working practice. Yeah. There's, uh, yeah. and also go back to this monk. He was he investigated. Mm. He took this concentration and mindfulness, and he really was thinking this through. And that's the replacement with wisdom from ignorance. Mm -hmm. This is not just a sitting on a cushion practice in a Tuesday and Saturday practice. It's, you know, going home and thinking this through and mm -hmm. really coming to understand because without understanding, you'll have flashes of insight and then it will be gone. But developing that concentration is the whole purpose of this. And you'll find it sustained more and more. And uh, you know, that's, the, that's the beauty of this practice, is investigate. That's one of the seven factors of awakening. Right. And without concentration and mindfulness, you can't do anything but intellectually understand what feeling feelings are but to truly investigate it means you have to have a practice and, a, and a, a moment by moment practice or else you know the world will catch up to you and you know there'll be flashes of stress and you you know I'm sure you have it with family and friends and you know school so it's a it's an opportunity to really investigate what the Buddha's teaching. And why is it, uh, everyone probably already got this, but I was just thinking about it, why, why is it like stilling of fabrications and not like eliminating fabrications there? Because they're, they're still going to be there and exist, is that what, but we're, you're not why a, that word choice? You're not attached to the fabrication. You're not, you know, it's think, again, the aggregates. Mm -hmm. There's there's no clinging. So mm -hmm. therefore the feeling is still there, but this is not me, this is not mine. Mm -hmm. That's what this practice is. Mm -hmm. is well, you could say this still is, is the eliminating. Too. Yeah, because eliminating is more of a control to try and get mm -hmm. rid of something. You can't edit the world around you. It is. Mm -hmm. It exists. It's, you know. it's, how you it's your relationship to it. So. It's how still in your reaction to what's occurring. Yeah. Right. But that's the that's the, the the action word. We're actually you're 
purposely still in your mind. It's not something that it occurs just because you're practicing or just because you're going to church on Sunday. Right. Your mind, the, the, the reaction in your mind is stilling because of what you're directly doing in this context. Again, it's not just meditation. It's concentration that feeds that refined mindfulness mm -hmm. that then develops that right view that allows me to remain calm and peaceful in this moment, which is the culmination of eliminating the stilling. Mm -hmm. you know? So it, it has to be both. Yeah. You know, it has to be meditation along with those other seven factors. Right. Because, well, mm -hmm. well, I mean, I've meditated for years and I just got myself more confused and frustrated. I, I mean, I, I know people, yeah. I talk to people, I try to help people that have meditated. Because you used to spend like hours and hours and days and days. Well, and people and meditated themselves into their own form of mental illness and didn't realize what they did. But if you're, yeah. if you're somebody who's not very sure of yourself, and all that you're doing is sitting and rehashing that day after day after day, what's going to happen to your mind? And again, not everybody that meditates is going to, you know, but it, it's not a very healthy practice, I would say, unless you have the right framework for doing it. Right. Again, it's the context. Yeah. It gives, yeah. It, it gives the meditation a purpose, and you see, you see the results. Wrong. I just wanted to say something what, what, uh, in, in reaction to what, what Jane said, um, you know, that when, you're, when you get up in the morning and you can, you can just meet that, that first moment of the day um, without the baggage of, of the past and without the, 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 the specter of, of, of the future, it becomes so effortless. Mm. <laughs> it light, just, isn't it? It's, it's so light. That's because, called enlightened. Yeah, it, it, there's, there's <laughs> just not this baggage attached to it. It's, mm. just, it's just a moment. <laughs> and, you know, and we know that the next moment's going to be different. Um, it, makes you, it makes life that much easier uh, once you get to that point. Yeah, and it, that's a gradual process. But, um, you know, this, it's nice to, to wake up to that. Because <laughs> you really don't have control over the feeling that you're going to have when you wake up. But you have no. this like you know, calming you, Yeah, you make presence. it out of, out of your, your dream space and, and, yeah. and carry it over to that, you know, but then you step into the shower and, and uh, hopefully the shower will work. You know, but otherwise you won't have a shower. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, but, you know, you deal with all these things in uh, you know a moment at a time, and, and it's so much easier than, than, than getting up in the morning and and the first thing is like oh my God what am I going to do at work now, and and you know and oh Jesus the kids are are crying for for you know are, are going to be wanting uh, their handout and, and this and that and the other thing uh, instead of you know put one foot after another and and uh, and take the day. Carpe diem. Carpe diem. Get rid of the alarm clock. Uh-huh. <laughs> you for the day. Thank you. Thank you, Robert. John. Um, Teacher John. I don't concern myself with the showers these days. I'm with other people. 
I'm liberated from such things. Right. Um, anyway, and it doesn't work. I was wondering when you're going to talk and call, because I haven't said anything. You never call. Yeah. Uh, I'm just sitting here thinking how, how fortunate I am to have come across these teachings and then to be a part of the Sangha. And I know that might sound a little silly because me and Matt started it, but this is rare. This really, to have people like you that are this interested and come to class when you can. Um, again, I realize how fortunate I am to have this developed here. So thank you all. Thank you for just another great teaching, baby. Thank you, Joe. Thank, thank you, everyone. Uh, any other questions, comments? I just wanted to say something uh, uh, to what Laura was saying about um, people's truths and different truths out there. And I don't even actually know the Four Noble Truths. <laughs> but they we forgive like, you. I have to put my glasses on and go like, but it, like what is true, what is true is different than a truth. True exists without anyone's interpretation of it. It just is. Yeah, it's it's a being. It exists. It's the, like the truth is noble truths because they're the truths that we consider here. That's the 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 truth that the sky is is blue, is a truth. We don't we don't we just don't consider it. It's not it's not relevant to the Dhamma. So these are they're noble truths because they're what we practice. It doesn't say that there's no there's no other truths out there. No, I'm just meaning the word true mm-hmm. as opposed to truth. Yeah. True exists. Without well, true, yeah, true. Everything's existing right now. It's a, there's a, a reality true, out there. That the truth is true. an interpretation. It's like the difference between law and legal. Law. Well, I, what I'm saying really is that we, there, every everything that occurs is its own truth. It's established by its reality. The only truth that we're concerned about is these four noble truths, and that's what keeps us focused. We, everything yeah, I'm, I'm relates to that. I'm, I'm, uh, we're talking about two different things. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, talking about the nomenclature of a word. True. Uh, mm-hmm. True. Again, that's why Laura read yes. our purpose statement. There are many truths out there, and what we focus on is the understanding of stress and the cessation of stress, the self-inflicted stress. And, you know, it's not to take away from any other person's practice or beliefs. It's just we're trying to solve for the problem of stress. Yeah, there's relative truths, which is a relative truth would be uh, the earth is flat. And so over time, we evolve to a way where we understand that the earth isn't flat. When the earth was flat, it was flat for most people. Mm-hmm. And it hindered discovery, et cetera, et cetera. But again, the fact that whoever it was that discovered that the earth wasn't flat now became a truth has no bearing at all on four noble truths. So does that make sense to you, Leah? So there's true uh, out there. I, I, no, I, I totally understand what you're saying, but it's a different from what I'm talking about. Oh, so yeah, so we don't, so, uh, we don't really... Like to, me, to me, the word true, T-R-U-E, is, um, is what exists. Mm-hmm. Outside of interpretation, sure, as being true. Yeah, yeah. We just we don't deny that the world occurs. We just don't get entangled in it. So, what's true out in the world is true. It's out in the world. It's part of the world. It's just it's not a consideration. I don't have to consider what reality is. My only consideration is to be present for it. 
and in that moment, I will have to decide is what is, is, what is that it. a consideration? Do you think? Well, of course it is, but I'm developing it out of every human being develops a view of the world, and what we do is use our concentration and a framework for how to see things impersonally to develop in the in the sense of the Dhamma what is called a right view or a skillful view. It doesn't. It, it, the implication is isn't that anybody who doesn't practice the Dhamma has a wrong view. They have an irrelevant view. It's, it's simply not a part of the way I see things. But that's true about everyone. Everybody, what, what I have done, what we do here, is take control of how we think and how we look at the world in a very mature way, as opposed to a kind of haphazard or conditioned way, meaning through our environment, through the things we decide to study, through our friends, through our associations, etc., etc. And those are all the truths that we form. And there's a way of living in the world that creates a right view, and that's what we practice here. So I don't know if that if, if that makes sense in the we don't need to describe true in a relative sense because the four noble truths are clearly defined. I think that's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah, they're like what true is. It's like they are there's it's um it's it's almost like the not to put this in a religious can context, but the Ten Commandments. No. No. No, it's just describing a certain reality of human life. Um, I'll, I'll look at the, I'll give it, if I, if I forget to, please send me an email just asking for the suttas because I'll send you two suttas that will describe. It, it's kind of silly that we're okay. talking about Four Noble Truths when you don't have the context. I, uh, so the Four Noble Truths are... I just are, put my glasses on and read them. Well, the Four Noble Truths are dukkha occurs, meaning as a consequence of having a human life, there's going to be stress, stress and suffering, from, from mild disappointment to, I just lost my leg in an explosion. That, that is dukkha. But mostly it's reflecting the quality of my mind because I'm taking what's personal, not what is impersonal, personal, meaning everything and every thought that I have. The second Noble Truth is that there, the dukkha arises from certain conditions. Dukkha, dukkha occurs, there's a cause for dukkha that can be understood. And that is what we do here. The third noble truth is that the cessation of this internal process that causes distraction and suffering in my mind, not out there, the cessation of that internal process is entirely possible. So the Buddha is teaching us from 2,600 years ago, if you do this, you can actually achieve this. And he's saying this as a human being who's achieved it, and we have the example of other people. And so the fourth noble truth is the truth of the Eightfold Path leading to the cessation of Dukkha, the first noble truth. So those are the only truths that we are concerned with, is developing an understanding of that first noble truth. So the Buddha describes awakening as understanding in a profound penetrative way, stress. And he describes the quality of that mind in one word, calm. Not magical or mystical. And then think about this. This is what struck me. What do I really want in this moment? I want to understand what's going on so that I can have a calm and peaceful mind. And what Siddhartha realized is that this was the central thing to understand. And then upon that understanding, then you can have a human life and do anything you may want to do without being distressed by what you're doing. Again, coming back to that first act of understanding, and now I'm disentangled in the world. 
So all the craziness that's going on in the world and the things that I think I hope to change, I can now understand. And it doesn't mean that I still don't notice more skillful behavior, but I no longer insist that the world has to be different than it is and drive myself crazy. Excuse that long explanation. I hope it made a little bit of sense, Ilya. Yeah, no, it does. It does. Okay, yeah, and I'll, I'll, I can, again, if I forget, I'll probably remember now that I talk so much, okay. but I'll send you a couple of links for you to explore. And again, feel free to ask me any, you know I like to talk, so send me an email, send me a call, a we'll, we'll talk about it. And now, it was a, a Seinfeld episode I just saw last night where, where Kramer said, I'm not going to talk for four years, starting now. <laughs> I mean now. Yeah. You can see that my mind is destroyed by sitcoms, but I'm doing the best I can. Yeah, I've never had a television. You're lucky. Well, <laughs> you imagine what I had to overcome. I mean, I know. Did you ever see three I've never seen anything. Never. Good for you. Good for you. No, I'm defiled. Except that. I never grew up in one. I never got one. All right, let's calm down here. (laughs) Calm down here. We'll finish with uh, the Karaniya Metta Sutta, as we always do. So find your relaxed meditation position. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. May all things be at ease, whatever living things there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world spreading upward to the skies and downward to the depths, outward and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will, whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.